Greetings, this is podcast number 66 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to discuss the U.S. connection to the death squads in Iraq. Also, we'll update last week's report on the Florida exit poll ban, as well as hear a listener comment on my segment detailing right-wing electronic voting machine fraud. I will also suggest five ways for you to protect your vote. Let's get right into it. A recent news story outraged me. Oliver North went to Nicaragua and warned the people there against voting for Sandinista candidate Daniel Ortega in that country's November 5th presidential elections. Ortega currently leads the polls in a five-man race. Oliver North, for those of you who don't know, was instrumental in setting up arming and illegally funding the Nicaraguan Contras in the 1980s as part of Reagan's strategy to destroy the Sandinista Revolution. The Contras were essentially a U.S.-supported terrorist army which primarily targeted civilians. The Contras tortured and killed thousands of campesinos in the Nicaraguan countryside. How obscene is it? for the man behind so much suffering and death in Nicaragua to go there still a free man and then even have the nerve to lecture the people of that country about their electoral choices. This story compelled me to present part three of my series, Critically Important but Largely Unreported Aspects of the Iraq War, since this part three involves a replay in current-day Iraq of one of the most disgusting aspects of the United States' 1980s Central America policy. In Part 3 today, we'll discuss U.S. responsibility for bloodshed of innocence abroad of similar and perhaps even greater magnitude than that of Oliver North, the current depredations of death squads in Iraq. Thousands have been killed by these death squads. As reported in the New York Times, victims, quote, have been found dead in ditches and fields with bullet holes in their temples, acid burns on their skin, and holes in their bodies apparently made by electric drills. Many have simply vanished." Close quote. This mass torture and murder by the death squads of Iraq is being covered by the media, true. But what is largely unreported is that these death squads bear a U.S. pedigree. To listen to our mass media, the U.S. is against this death squad activity and is trying to stop it. But the U.S. had a hand in setting up and training these death squads and now in allowing them to operate. To understand how this could be true in Iraq, we need to go over some of the history of violent U.S. intervention in Central America. My sources for this segment are the Associated Press, the Interpress Service, the New York Times, interviews conducted by Amy Goodman on Democracy Now!, the British newspaper The Times, the website of the First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto, ConsortiumNews.com, Newsweek Online, and The Nation magazine. In the early 1980s, a leftist insurgency in El Salvador threatened to topple the long-standing right-wing dictatorship there. Ronald Reagan would have none of that, claiming that the insurgency was really a front for communist expansion in our backyard. 
Reagan wanted to defeat the insurgency without sending in U.S. troops, but the Salvadoran army was useless as a fighting force. So what Reagan did was train, arm, and fund Salvadoran death squads. The insurgency was halted in its tracks, quote, through the slaughter of tens of thousands of civilians, close quote. As reported in the New York Times, quote, most of the killing and torturing was done by the army and the right-wing death squads affiliated with it. According to an Amnesty International report in 2001, violations committed by the army and its associated paramilitaries included extrajudicial executions, other unlawful killings, disappearances, and torture. Whole villages were targeted by the armed forces and their inhabitants massacred. As part of President Reagan's policy of supporting anti-communist forces, hundreds of millions of dollars in United States aid was funneled to the Salvadoran army, and a team of 55 special forces advisors, led for several years by Jim Steele, trained frontline battalions that were accused of significant human rights abuses. Close quote. Remember the name of that special forces advisor, Jim Steele. Hint, will you be surprised if he turns up in 2005 Iraq? But back to El Salvador. Listen to Alan Nairn being interviewed by Amy Goodman on her essential radio program, Democracy Now! Alan Nairn is a journalist and activist. He wrote an article in 1984 entitled, Behind the Death Squads. His article exposed the U.S. backing of the Salvadoran death squads and led to a Senate Intelligence Committee investigation. Uh, in El Salvador, and not just Salvador, but about uh, three dozen other countries, the uh, U.S. government, in an integrated effort involving the CIA, uh, the Pentagon, uh, and the State Department, backed uh, the creation of, of military units that targeted civilian activists. In Salvador, I interviewed um, many of the uh, officers involved in running these squads. For example, uh, General Chely Medrano, who was on the CIA payroll, uh, described how they picked their uh, targets. Uh, he said uh, they targeted people who speak, and these are his words, uh, against Yankee imperialism, against the oligarchy, against military men. These people are traitors to the country. What can the troops do? When they find them, they kill them. I was given uh, a chance to see the archives of the Salvadoran National Police, the intelligence archives, and you could see they had files marked uh, Union, Student, uh, Religious. They showed me a card file uh, which included surveillance reports on activists who had traveled to other countries. These surveillance reports were given to them, according uh, to the captain who was giving me this tour, uh, by the CIA. The whole filing system uh, was set up for them uh, by the U.S. Agency for International uh, Development. A special teletype system, uh, which at that time was the, the top technology, was set up for exchanging information among the intelligence uh, services of the various participant uh, countries uh, where information would be passed back and forth about, uh, for example, labor leaders who would travel from one country uh, to another for uh, conferences. And then on their return, uh, they would be uh, picked up, uh, tortured, and assassinated. Uh, something on the order of uh, 75,000 uh, Salvadoran civilians were killed by the Salvadoran military, and the majority of uh, these were uh, targeted by these death squad-type forces. So one point is these were not combatants who were being killed. These were not armed guerrillas. 
Speaking of those abducted by the death squads, Nairn explains... Actually, they didn't always kill them. Often they brought them to the headquarters of the Treasury Police, the National Guard, uh, the Army, and they tortured them uh, for days. Uh, one former member of the Salvadoran uh, Treasury Police, uh, Rene Hurtado, uh, described uh, a course that was given at Army General Staff Headquarters where American officers gave instruction in techniques including uh, electroshock torture. Uh, Hurtado himself said he conducted such uh, torture. Uh, he said, these are his words, uh, you put wires on the prisoner's vital parts. You place the wires between the prisoner's teeth on the penis and the vagina. The prisoners feel it more if their feet are in the water and they're seated on iron so the blow is stronger. Uh, when it's over, you just throw him in the alleys with a sign saying Mano Blanca, Esa, uh, Maximiliano Hernandez Brigade. These are the names of the Salvadoran uh, death squads. American officers gave instruction in torture techniques. If you want to learn more about an entire American military establishment devoted to just such nefarious teaching, go to the website School of the Americas Watch, www.soawatch.org. These American-backed death squads spared no one. Jesuits were killed at their university. Roman Catholic Archbishop Oscar Romero was murdered. He had asked Salvadoran soldiers to please consider whom they were killing. In the last sermon he ever preached, Archbishop Romero said, quote, I want to make a special appeal to soldiers, National Guardsmen, and policemen. Each of you is one of us. The peasants you kill are your own brothers and sisters. When you hear a man telling you to kill, remember God's words, Thou shalt not kill. No soldier is obliged to obey a law contrary to the law of God. In the name of God, in the name of our tormented people, I beseech you, I implore you, in the name of God I command you to stop the repression. Archbishop Romero uh, was killed as part of, uh, according to uh, later in investigations, I uh, was killed by an offshoot of the operation of uh, Roberto Daubisson, uh, who ran the Arena Party, um, which was one of the death squad operations, or one of the smaller ones actually, the larger came from the regular Salvadoran armed forces and police. He also had U.S. backing. In fact, uh, Daubisson launched his career as a major figure in Salvador by going on TV and making a speech. Uh, and he had uh, a video role as he spoke uh, with an illustrated death list of uh, Union people and religious figures and others uh, who he said should be killed as traitors to the country. And the data for this list uh, were supplied to him by American intelligence, again, according to the officers there I, I interviewed. Romero was killed once he called upon soldiers not to repress the population any longer. Just as in the United States, Martin Luther King Jr. was killed exactly one year to the day from his 1967 Riverside Church speech, where he said that African-American youth who had no freedom at home should not be fighting in Vietnam to oppress people of color in the name of their oppressors at home. You can check out Podcast 32 for an entire program devoted to that speech and its relevance to the War on Terror. No account of El Salvador could be complete without the story of the American nuns abducted, raped, and murdered, and the right-wing reaction to that atrocity. They were killed by the uh, National uh, Salvadoran National Guard. They were uh, pulled from their vehicle, uh, raped, uh, shot, dumped into a ditch. And this was a typical uh, Salvadoran death squad operation. Uh, this one got a lot of uh, 
attention in the press in the U.S. because the victims were American. Although at the time, uh, U.S. officials uh, actually tried to uh, uh, excuse it. Uh, Alexander Haig, I believe it was Alexander Haig, spoke publicly uh, about there being an exchange of uh, gunfire, which implied that these were pistol-packing nuns uh, who had to be uh, brought down in combat by the Salvadoran uh, forces. Uh, Jean Kirkpatrick actually said, well, these weren't real nuns, uh, her suggestion being that they, they were activists uh, and that this somehow, uh, she seemed to be suggesting that this somehow legitimized their targeting. And in fact, that was the principle uh, behind these death squad uh, operations. Truly a vile creature, that Jean Kirkpatrick. Gives Ann Coulter a run for her money. You can see that, just as in the present day, back then as well, right-wingers engaged in the most sickening excuse-making for the murders they commit. Nairn says that, while the full report the Senate Intelligence Committee prepared as a result of his story was never publicly released... Some of the senators told me that the classified, they told me a little bit about the classified report. They said that they had verified that, in fact, uh, uh, yes, the U.S. had set up these uh, death squads in Salvador, and also that U.S. personnel had sometimes been on the premises during torture sessions and had supplied uh, questions for the prisoners uh, being uh, tortured. Okay, got the picture? Death squads are a long-standing feature of U.S. intervention abroad. We'll take a quick break now, and then when we return, discuss the U.S. connection to Iraqi death squads. Left, the right, the right. Left, left the right, the right. Let's fast forward to January 2005 and a Newsweek special report entitled The Salvador Option. Quote, What to do about the deepening quagmire of Iraq? The Pentagon's latest approach is being called, quote, The Salvador Option. The Pentagon is intensively debating an option that dates back to a still-secret strategy in the Reagan administration's battle against the leftist guerrilla insurgency in El Salvador in the early 1980s. Then, faced with a losing war against Salvadoran rebels, the U.S. government funded or supported nationalist forces that allegedly included so-called death squads directed to hunt down and kill rebel leaders and sympathizers. Eventually, the insurgency was quelled, and many U.S. conservatives considered the policy to have been a success, despite the deaths of innocent civilians and the subsequent Iran-Contra arms-for-hostages scandal. Following that model, one Pentagon proposal would send special forces teams to advise, support, and possibly train Iraqi squads, most likely hand-picked Kurdish Peshmerga fighters and Shiite militiamen, to target Sunni insurgents and their sympathizers. Close quote. Note the critically important word sympathizers that Newsweek uses. Newsweek said that uh, they described the Salvador option as the targeting of uh, combatants and their sympathizers, and the key word is uh, sympathizers. Uh, in El Salvador, and not just Salvador, but about uh, three dozen other countries, the uh, U.S. government, in an integrated effort involving the CIA, uh, the Pentagon, uh, and the State Department, 
backed uh, the creation of, of military units that targeted civilian activists. The death squad operations, which the Pentagon, according to Newsweek, is now talking about using for Iraq, these went after uh, civilians. Let there be no mistake that the purpose of the Salvador option is to target civilians. Quote, One military source involved in the Pentagon debate suggests that new offensive operations are needed that would create a fear of aiding the insurgency. He said, quote, the Sunni population is paying no price for the support it is giving to the terrorists. From their point of view, it is cost-free. We have to change that equation. Close quote. The price they pay will be the torture and murder of civilians from their community. Shortly after the publication of the Newsweek report, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, quote, said the idea of a Salvador option was nonsense. Close quote. I believe nonsense is a right-wing code word for 100% true, isn't it? Others apparently thought so. Even the British right-wing newspaper The Times, owned by Rupert Murdoch, reported the story under the headline, quote, El Salvador-style death squads to be deployed by U.S. against Iraq militants, close quote. The Salvador Option Adopted As reported by Peter Moss in a Sunday New York Times Magazine article published several months later in May of 2005, the head of the U.S. military's effort to train Iraqi forces, Lieutenant General David Petraeus, personally decided to arm and supply Iraq's, quote, most fearsome counterinsurgency force, close quote, the Special Police Commandos. And guess who he assigned to work with them? Jim Steele, the Special Forces Advisor who back in El Salvador had, quote, trained frontline battalions that were accused of significant human rights abuses, close quote. Steele is this fearsome counterinsurgency force's main advisor and has a, quote, close relationship, close quote, with the head of these special police commandos. So in January, Newsweek reports that the Bushians are considering the Salvador death squad option. In May, the New York Times reports significant help being given to Iraqi counterinsurgency forces. And then, as if by magic, death squad murders start multiplying in Iraq. So let's jump ahead to December of 2005. At a Pentagon news conference Tuesday, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld was questioned about the death squads. Mr. Secretary, uh, are you concerned over, and in fact, is the United States looking into growing reports of uniformed death squads in Iraq, perhaps assassinating and torturing hundreds of Sunnis? And if that's true, what would that say about stability in Iraq? Comment on hypothetical questions. I've not seen reports that hundreds are being killed by roving death squads at all. Um, we, we know for a fact that it's a violent country. We know for a fact that there have been various militias. Uh, we know that there have been some militias that have been Iran-oriented. Uh, we also know there's been a, some militias in the north that have been very helpful. The Peshmerga have been very constructive in what they've done. But I'm not going to get into speculation like that. Well, sir, that's not a hypothetical, I don't believe. The Sunnis themselves are charging that, that hundreds have been, have been assassinated, people shot in the head, found in alleys. Um, what you're talking about are unverified, to my knowledge at least, unverified comments. I just don't have any data 
from the field that I could comment on in a specific way. Do you, General? No, I do not, sir, although I do know that the Iraqi government has said that they were going to investigate those kinds of allegations. And, and they should. That's a good thing. Uh, look, it's a sovereign country. Uh, the Iraqi government exists. There's also a political campaign taking place, and we ought to be aware of that, uh, that, that there are going to be a lot of charges and countercharges and allegations, and they may very well be timed as they are in every country in the world that has a, a free political system. They may be timed in a way to seek advantage. We also will find that in some cases that there will be investigations and that they will prove to have been valid. I just don't know. I can only talk about what I know. Uh, that's life. Wow. After incomprehensible obfuscation, Rumsfeld concludes, that's life. Now we're up to the present, the fall of 2006. The U.S. is not trying to stop these death squads. Quite the contrary. Quote, death squads from the Ministry of Interior posing as Iraqi police are killing more people than ever in the capital, emerging evidence shows. The death toll is high. In all, 1,536 bodies were brought to the Baghdad morgue in September. A police officer, speaking on condition of anonymity, told the Interpress Service that he believed that murderers would not be punished for their crimes. He said, quote, They will reward them, believe me, and give them higher ranks. This is a country that will never stand back on its feet as long as these killers are in power, and the Americans are supporting them by allowing their convoys to move during curfew hours. Close quote. Arun Gupta is an editor of the Independent Media Center's newspaper, The Independent. He has investigated the spread of these militias in Iraq and was also interviewed by Amy Goodman. The U.S. is saying, well, you know, who knows who's doing this, but when 20 uh, vehicles pull up with um, 100 troops in them um, and reporters are recounting, the New York Times article also uh, recounts this, um, they're showing up with sophisticated communications equipment, they're showing up with these expensive Glocks, um, 9mm Glocks that were supplied by the U.S. government, uh, they have the insignia, the, the uniforms of the special police commandos, and these the in Baghdad there's a very strict curfew that's uh, in place every single night. Yet how can these uh, large convoys of vehicles be going around? What you're seeing is, I, th I think, really the fruition of U.S. strategy in Iraq. The, uh, the Pentagon has spent over $10 billion to try to stand up Iraqi military forces, and it's been a complete disaster. Um, so what they're trying to do is they're turning to death squads uh, to fight the insurgency. Speaking of Donald Rumsfeld... What he doesn't want to talk about is that the U.S. set up these militias. They funded them, they armed them, they trained them. And a lot of this came out in the Pentagon's own reports, Pentagon's generals talking about how great they were over a year ago, um, how they really took the fight uh, to the resistance. Even the United Nations has found that the U.S. is involved with these death squads. Quote, a U.N. human rights report released September last year held Interior Ministry forces responsible for an organized campaign of detentions, torture, and killings. It reported that special police commando units accused of carrying out the killings were recruited from Shia militias and trained by U.S. forces. Close quote. The U.S. military, of course, has denied any involvement in the killings. It may be that at a certain point we lost control of our death squads and now they're running completely amok. I don't know. 
could be sort of like how we supported the Mujahideen in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union, and they morphed into the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Now, remember Jim Steele, the El Salvador advisor, now playing a key role in Iraq counterinsurgency? He's not the only ghoul from the Central America Death Squad era that has resurfaced in Death Squad Iraq. For one thing, John Negroponte is now ambassador to Iraq. Back in the 1980s, he was ambassador to Honduras. Nairn. Negroponte was one of the people who ran the Contra oper operation, the, uh, uh, the essential the invasion against Nicaragua, which the World Court later ruled to be an act of aggression uh, by the Contras, which were created uh, and funded by the, the U.S. Uh, government. Uh, he also uh, oversaw the, back, the military backing for Battalion 316, which was a Honduran military death squad which uh, specialized in, uh, in torture and assassination. Newsweek reported that Negroponte claimed he was, quote, not involved in military strategy in Iraq. He called the insertion of his name into this report, quote, utterly gratuitous, close quote. Yeah. We also have Elliot Abrams. He headed up Central America policy in the State Department back in the 1980s. He's back advising Bush on Middle East policy and promoting democracy abroad. And let's not forget Dick Waterboarding's a no-brainer Cheney, who was in the House of Representatives back then and was a foremost defender of Reagan's Central America pro-death squad policies. What's scariest of all is that back in the 1980s, the U.S. government kept its death squad activities hidden. It denied any involvement in torture. Now, the brazen Bushians come right out and say it, we can choose a Salvador death squad option for Iraq. Beyond that, even within the United States, we can suspend habeas corpus and disappear people, and we can torture. They're so blasé about it. Here's Amy Goodman and Nairn. Did it surprise you that the Pentagon is actually calling this proposal, according to Newsweek, to um, uh, train assassination and kidnapping squads in El Salvador, that they're calling it the Salvador option? Have they ever acknowledged it publicly? Well, it sounds, uh, no, they never acknowledged it publicly. That Senate report was, uh, was classified. Uh, but now it sounds like in an offhand way. Uh, it's, it's almost, uh, I mean, it, it sounds as if they're almost talking about it even in a, almost a joking way. I mean, the Sal oh, yeah, we'll do to them what we did to Salvador. Uh, I mean, it's an astonishing uh, admission. Uh, but I think now that uh, this is, is on the record, uh, immediately this admission should be pursued and the U.S. officials uh, who participated in creating uh, units that killed civilians should be prosecuted for murder. We have to enforce the murder laws. Kind of hard to enforce the murder laws when the murderers run the government. Now for some speculation on my part. My gut feeling about all this is not at all good. You don't think they have plans in the hopper for death squads in the United States? Don't be naive. If they think they can get away with it, they'll implement it in a second. The demonization of cut-and-run, traitor, aiding comfort to the enemy, defeatocrats is precisely the type of dehumanization that's rolled out to prepare the ground for violence against opponents. What a nasty, nasty bunch of people, these bushy and right-wingers. Blood is now flowing ever more freely through the streets of Baghdad, thanks to their efforts. 
We all need to be super vigilant and work really, really hard to make sure that such a red river doesn't become a reality in the United States. In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again to kind of catapult the propaganda. Catapult the propaganda. I need to update something I told you last week. I said I hoped a federal judge would throw out before the upcoming midterm election a Florida law that banned exit polling within 100 feet of a polling station. Exit polls are so accurate that they're used to measure the honesty of the balloting process. So this law was an obvious right-wing attempt by Jeb Bush to inhibit one of the few ways to detect electronic voting fraud. Turns out, the day before the podcast came out, it was reported that the judge had thrown out the law. I didn't read that newspaper story until the day after the podcast. Should have Googled it before I recorded it. Interestingly, that story, which was in the New York Times, also reported that Florida was not the only place where right-wingers were trying to shut down exit polls. In Ken Blackwell's Ohio, as well as in Georgia, Kentucky, Minnesota, Montana, Washington, and Wyoming, judges have thrown out such bans. We must maintain our energy and determination in the face of all this right-wing skullduggery. Along those lines, Jeff of the GOP Exposed podcast called in to say that he felt my segment documenting the history of right-wing electronic voting fraud might well have the effect of further discouraging young people to vote. I'm constantly trying to get the young people I work with to vote. And if they had heard your podcast, and I know how they think, I know how they react, they'd go, why vote? My vote's not going to count, and you, more than anybody else, you know, have just proved to me that my vote's not going to count. So I'm not going to vote. Nothing you can say can make me vote. That's how they are. And um, they, they look for excuses not to vote, basically. I was really just, just reeling, reeling, oh, no, no, don't make too good a case. And, of course, she made the best case. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, that's all I have to say. You know, um, I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Indeed, a week after Jeff called in with that comment, the New York Times ran a front-page story under the headline, Democrats Fear Disillusionment in Black Voters. The disillusionment stems in part from all the voter suppression and voter fraud perpetrated on the African-American community in recent years. Let me make myself perfectly clear, to use a perhaps unfortunate expression, although compared to the present bunch, I'd take Tricky Dick back in a second. I urge everyone in the strongest terms to go out and vote. If you don't vote, then the GOP doesn't even have to commit fraud. You've given them too easy a victory, a victory that can't be overturned because they will have won by the numbers. Here are five steps to protect your vote from VoteTrustUSA.org. Quoting from an email I received from them, 1. Vote! Whether you vote on November 7th or by early voting or absentee ballot, the only way to be sure your vote won't count is if you don't vote. 2. Find out if you're registered and where to vote. For many states, you can find out much of this information at www.canivote.org. You can also call your county election office. 3. Verify your vote. If you're voting on an electronic voting machine equipped with a paper trail printer, be sure to confirm that your vote is recorded accurately on the paper record. 
If there is a problem, notify the poll worker before casting your vote. 4. Bring identification. If your state requires a photo ID, Arizona, Indiana, and Florida, bring a photo ID. In every state, if you are voting for the first time and you registered by mail, you need to bring identification with you to the polls. 5. Election Protection Hotline. If you encounter any problem in the voting process, call 1-866-OUR-VOTE. 1-866-687-8683 for English or 1-888-839-8682 in Spanish. Close quote. You can also volunteer at VoteTrustUSA.org to help protect the vote in additional ways. Go out and vote. And let's trust that all the voting rights advocates and lawyers and computer experts who will be monitoring this election like never before will uncover any fraud and make sure all our votes are properly tallied. We all must keep voting until that happens, until all our votes do count and the right wing is thrown out of power. The alternative is too grim to contemplate. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right on PodcastAlley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing Blast the Right into Google and on the first result. We ended the month of October at number 8 on the Podcast Alley Top 10. Lost our number 7 spot to a Star Wars podcast. At least it wasn't a right-winger. We did increase our vote total, and we'll need to increase it even more November to stay in that top 10. Voting starts anew at the beginning of each month. Hopefully, all of you who voted last month will vote again, and many who haven't yet gotten around to voting will join in this month. As a medium-term goal, if enough progressives join in, we can forge ahead of libertarian, that means extreme right-wing economically, even against having a minimum wage at all, free talk live. Then we'd be the number one political show on Podcast Alley. Right now, we're number two. Remember, if you don't have the time, there's no need to leave a comment. It's totally optional. Your vote counts just as well without one. Now a word from another progressive podcaster. Are you a liberal that is dissatisfied with the spin of America's corporate media? Are you a progressive? that has grown tired of the right-wing disinformation machine? Do you wish a program existed that gave you the straight story about Washington politics? Well, that program has arrived. It's the Left Wing Nutjob Podcast, a weekly political news magazine covering both the United States and the world with interviews, commentary, and analysis designed to keep you informed without wasting your time. The Left Wing Nut Job Podcast. Find us on the web at www.leftwingnutjob.com or in your favorite podcast directory. The Left Wing Nut Job Podcast. A new voice for progressive politics. Music credits. The break music was The Schnee Speaks by KG House combined with the alternate Blast the Right theme by Nye's Music. The bumper music was Catapult to Propaganda by Nye's Music. We'll end with a bit of Peter Finch playing Howard Beale in the classic film Network, combined with No Justice, No Peace by Wacky Avelli. 
Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. All your email has been great. Please keep it coming in. My address is rational at adelphia.net. I must admit I am a week behind in replying, so please be patient. If you'd like to, you can call in to leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also reach me on Skype. My name there is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. You've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We're mad as hell, and we ain't going to take it anymore. Not just, no peace. We're mad